0: Hi, listeners. It's Lucy. Please don't scroll ahead. This is a very quick message, I promise, to ask a very easy favour. At the end of each episode as the credits roll, you'll hear a request from us to rate and review the show. Now, for those of you that are awesome podcast listeners rather than podcast makers, you might actually have no idea what a huge difference those things make. A significant factor in the visibility of a podcast on almost all listening platforms is down to the number and quality of ratings and subscriptions. So, if you are one of our dedicated listeners, hi, I know some of you as far away as Australia, so thanks. If you're currently not driving your car or changing a baby's nappy, can you please just look down at your phone right now as I'm talking and hit subscribe and five-star rating. Both of them are on the homepage of the show and they are both only a one-click job. But oh my god, what a lot of joy and gratitude I would feel at those one clicks. It makes such a difference to the show's potential to keep going. Now, enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening.
1: You're about to hear a brief conversation with an incredible artist. Part autobiographical journey, part literary analysis, and part late-night chat in the theatre bar. This is Hear Me Out.
0: And I'm your host, Lucy Eaton. Please welcome to the stage, David Mumeni. It is approaching Christmas. Dave,
1: you are my Christmas episode. I am honoured. I feel like the fairy on top of the tree, or the star on top of the tree. Well, exactly. That's
0: always how I thought of you, as the fairy on top of the tree. Dave, so much to chat about. First of all, I would like to say, I have wanted you to come on this show... Since day one, episode one, when I scribbled down a list of potential guests, I was like, I want to get Mumeni on because I hugely respect and love you just as a person. But I am so in awe of what you're doing in the industry with Open Thank Door. And for people listening who don't know what Open Door is, don't you worry. We're going to talk about it. Mm. But I just think it's so amazing. And I've been totally enthralled by it. And I just think you're doing such a good thing. And it's clearly so needed because... The results you're getting are incredible mm. for the actors that you're working with. So before we even launch into the speech, can you explain a little bit about what Open Door is? So people who don't know it know why I just think you're one of the best oh, people. That's, that's my
1: Christmas present. Uh, Open Door supports young people from uh, low-income backgrounds who don't have the financial support or resources to apply for the UK's leading drama schools. So um, we pay for their travel. They get free auditions to the schools. Um they uh, get one on one tutoring on their speeches, uh, like f- up to 15 hours over the whole sort of process. There's sort of skill based and creative workshops that t- take place bi weekly. Um, and that could be like movement and voice or um, acting, obviously, or people coming in, talking to them. Um, they get a buddy each, somebody's. Perhaps from a similar background to them, who's you know gone through the drama school process, um, who's an actor that they get to speak to and just have a ha, have an extra ear. Mm. They go to the theatre for free, so they go to the you know National Donmar, all these places for free, and where they do all their work is in those buildings. So they sort of um, they
0: feel a sense of belonging. Yeah,
1: less intimidating, and that, that those buildings are for them, and so that's a that's mm. a big part of it as well, really.
0: I think that it's so remarkable because to absolutely hold my hand up, I can speak to this from the position of definitely being someone who has had a very privileged life and I had a very privileged entry into this industry in that I was at a university where lots of people went to drama school afterwards. So I had lots of people to talk to and I definitely felt, I guess this is one of the big things we're trying to combat in the industry at the moment. I felt there was a place for me in it. And that's the problem, I think, is these people who don't feel there's a place for them when actually there is and there must be but I remember being at university and applying for drama schools and I applied for Lambda, RADA and Guildhall first and I got rejected from all of them without a recall Mm. and I remember being quite like, oh, Kelsa (laughs) Preece. I didn't, didn't expect that to happen. And at the time, there was a professional director called Charlie Westenra who was doing a show at our university because I was in that insanely privileged position and I remember she sat me down and was like, You haven't got into any of those drama schools because you're picking the wrong speeches. And she handpicked two speeches for me, directed me in them. And then I ended up reapplying to Lambda in the same year and getting offered a place. So I think I, from the privileged position, I can see how essential it is that if some people in the world are getting that opportunity, everyone needs to be getting that opportunity. Yeah, and
1: access to someone like that director that you spoke to, that you, you, you could spend 10 minutes with someone and completely change what they end up doing for their auditions and those speeches. And, you know, it's getting worse and worse in education in terms of access to sort of drama and, and, and the arts. Mm. And, and so, you know, in some schools, you've got the PE teacher who's doing it in rotation with humanities and PE and drama. And so sometimes someone's first sort of... Um, Or if anyone decides that after 18 that they want to, after school, that they want to become actors or or work behind the scenes, where do you go? I mean, London, there's a lot more, but where do you go? So, yes, the finances of it, but also that other stuff that I guess cultural capital, Mm. the sort of just knowledge. Yeah. Because it's all just so, you know, it's sort of demystifying it and that it's all this sort of, if I do this or this or this, I'll get in. And you just think, oh, I've heard of. My sc- at school, we did Harold Pinter, so I'll do a Harold Pinter speech, you know, and I'll play that 40-year-old man that I did in the thing. You know, you just don't know that, like, oh, I should play something that sounds like me, that I connect to, and that could come out of my mouth, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. yeah 100%. I was going to say, when you said about, you know, being in a more privileged position and feeling like, oh, yeah, why couldn't I get in? And that was it, really. Like, I used to sit on the auditions for National Youth Theatre, mm. and the sort of, um, well, generally the sort of privately educated people would come in, and there was just a beautiful confidence to them, mm. which wasn't cocky or arrogant or nothing like that, just of like, oh yeah, I want to be an actor, and um, so <laughs> here I am. Which was so different to the mindset that those that, you know, generally didn't have that, um, or from, a, say, uh, a lower economic background would come in and going, you know, really shy, imposter syndrome. Mm. And so it's just balancing that out, really. So there's sort of, there's an equity between them and their peers when they're they're auditioning, and so, hopefully it becomes just about talent rather than anything else.
0: And I think also what's so clever about what you're doing is that you are making huge changes to the way our industry works from from the starting point. And I think there's a shortcut that's trying to be made at the moment in the industry where, you know, we're just making an effort to make casts more diverse in terms of race, class, gender, but in a way... That's not the most pressing place to make the change, you know, because just sort of shoehorning numbers or ratios into casts, which I know happens in our industry. You know, there will be almost a contractual thing that's like Mm. this cast has to have 50 percent, this 50 percent, that, you know, that is sort of not solving the problem. It's like the problem's got to be solved right at the beginning, which is why Open Door is so amazing, because what you're doing is you're getting it to a place where... We won't need to state in advance that a cast needs to be more representative of the whole population because the pool of actors you're looking at will be more representative of the whole population.
1: Exactly, the pool. We still want to make that pool big for them to choose from.
0: When did you start Open Door? How long has it been?
1: 2017, I think I started putting it together. So the first group turned out 18 to 19 was the sort of that, if that makes sense, that school year, 18 to 19. Yeah,
0: so... You did a sort of showcase, didn't you, that was almost like a celebration of that first class, the show in, yeah. which was like effectively getting all of them to do their, the speeches they did for their auditions, but just they could do it in front of some industry guests, in front of friends and family. And I remember being invited to that and it was at the Soho Theatre, uh, not Soho Theatre, it was at Pleasance in Islington. Mm. And I remember, and I must have told you this before, Dave, but I had a programme and because of my producing work as well, I was like, oh, great. Got a program with everyone's names. Like, I'm obviously going to make a note of anyone I think is really good in case, you know, we want to use them in a show in the future. Yeah. And the first person came on and did their speech and it was just out of this world good. I was like, oh, my God, that person was amazing. You know, put a little star next to their name. And the second person came on and I was like, Jesus, that was incredible. Oh, my God, a little star next to their <laughs> name. And four or five people in, I was like, oh, I get it. I it's get everyone, it. Yeah. And... again it just goes to show how much if you can just give people the same help at the beginning what the talent is yeah that's out there. i think everyone
1: expected that showing to probably be a bit like because the narrative was like oh we can't find these actors and you know the talent isn't out there oh
0: yeah can you just clarify that for the listener so what yeah what is that attitude I, i just
1: think i think the narrative for a long time was like you know we'd love to have You know, a more diverse group of people come through the school, or like you said, in the industry, like our place. But you know, like they just can't find them; like they're just not there. So even when (laughs) I started Open Door, and I'm from um, Iranian heritage, Middle Eastern heritage, and I was like, well, obviously, I need to have. I do want people from Black, Asian, Global Majority backgrounds, like obviously, but I'm I'm not putting people in just because you know, like it's Mm -hmm. it's about talent and it's about class, you know. And so even my brain changed where I was like, oh well, apparently you know these people don't exist, even as. One. And then sixty percent of the people that came through the door were black <laughs> Asian or, or or uh a global majority. And that wasn't because we particularly seeked out or ha- put anything different. It was just because it was suddenly free and accessible. Mm-hmm. And they felt that it was for them. So it kinda just it just you just realise it's all nonsense really. But um but yeah, I never set out to uh it wasn't about diversity or representation. I, that really wasn't what it was about. I, I, I heard everyone with the industry was talking about it, and we need all this. And I was like, well, like you just said before, like it's grassroots really. It needs to start the the you know the the, the start really. And I'd, I'd worked in schools and youth theatres and kept seeing young people I thought were talented, but I was like, they just didn't know these roots existed or was for them or didn't know how to get in it. So I was like. Everyone was talking about how expensive drums, to get into drama school was at the time, and it's different now, but at the time.
0: Can you clarify that for the listener? So yeah, what's well, it's changed. changed.
1: I mean, like, you know, before auditions were like 50, 60 pounds. Some schools that went up to seven, I think, or one point, one of them went up to 80 or something. So and that's completely changed now. And I think, you know, that's the influence of Open open Door, new leadership mm-hmm. coming in, uh, just the times changing. And so now a lot of schools, are, it's around 35 which is still mm-hmm. an expense for a lot of people from multiple schools. But then for, for people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds or lower income backgrounds even, um, there are auditions for free if you're a household income of 25k or below. <laughs> and then you can also, there are like travel bursaries and things like that for people who want to travel. There's still, work needs to be done, but it's, it's massively changed. And other parts of it have changed, you know. It was the first time a lot of the schools had had that sort of unbiased feedback about their audition processes. Because, you know, you go for a year mm. and you get in. And we had, you know, anonymously, we asked everyone for what their experience was at each school. And we, and we sort of gave it back. And and I think that was a bit of a shock to the school because no one ever said it. Because, you know, if you ask for feedback from the people applying, they're not really going to give you a bad review because they want to get in next year, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but and I them were just really positive about it and, and took it on. And so, so those processes are different in terms of our attitude toward the room, in terms of understanding that, you know, perhaps an experience for those people coming in if it feels if it's if it's a nice experience in the room they're probably going to do better work you know if we feel confident we'll do better work so e- e- even that I always
0: think that any type of audition that makes that intimidates people I'm like what are you trying to achieve by
1: Yeah, of course. making the person walking in the room feel spooked yeah you don't do your best work um, also like Shakespeare being a sort of definitely needed in the first round that generally has changed because you know, like I said you've got places where there isn't even a drama department and Shakespeare can, or, or Jacobean can do like amazing stuff. You know, it's usually like a really simple sort of objective in the speech, and it's a big emotion. You know, it's, a, you know, it's either I'm gonna kill you or love you, or it's, it's really simple. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but to get to that level where you're able to use that language in that way is a lot of work, as we found, like, we, hence we did 15 hours with them one on one. So yeah. So just knowing that that is, that is a barrier in itself, and that's something you can go learn later on.
0: Absolutely, and also, I guess the industry has changed so much f- since the first time these auditions were being created, right? Where so little of the work out there is classical now.
1: Yeah, and I think we should learn it. I think you should be able to do it. You know, one of the reasons I set up is why I worked on sets, and I'd see people be what they are, and then at 25, when they stop being a, I don't know, a young Manchester lad, Mm -hmm. and it's you know, they stop being a young Manchester lad, so they have to be able to do other things, and so it should be that they can go do a Netflix series and then do a play at the Globe and then do a national, you know what I mean? So, but just knowing that it can be taught and it doesn't have to be an innate thing and it comes, of course, it's going to come easier to people who are obviously not from the same world as Shakespeare, but in terms of, you know, (laughs) what's expected in terms of, um, I know, understanding of of language. And for me, drama school was my biggest education in terms of English and language. You know, like I, I, uh, more than I ever had at school, and so for mm. me, it was, it was a massive education. So it's allowing that place to be it rather than to be expected before.
0: So with all that said about Open Door, what is the speech <laughs> that you picked? Because it is related, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. It was a speech that um, in that first show-in that you, you saw at Open Door, one of the young people did. It's Lucy Kirkwood's NSFW. Mm-hmm. And we sort of ended the show-in on it.
0: Do you remember like, who was the person who did it?
1: Brandon Grace. Uh, Who is a really one of the loveliest actors? Going, he's doing really well. Just did, just did a Shakespeare at the National. Just did, um, I think it was much, much ado. Oh, amazing! And uh, he he did this speech at the end, and it's sort of perfectly fitting for him, I think.
0: So yeah, tell us about the speech. What happens in the speech? Who's the character? Well,
1: one of the guys at the interview has been seeing someone, and he's at his interview, and he realizes actually that he he sort of loves this woman he's been seeing.
0: Sorry, just to clarify, so there's interviews going on in the play.
1: Yeah and um, he realised he really loves this woman and, and one thing he admires about her is that the way she sort of stands up for herself and other people and she he talks about how they're on the tube and someone's inappropriate and got their penis out and instead of sort of cowering away which um, would obviously be absolutely fine or, or not saying anything he she decided to sort of shout chipolata at it and got the whole <laughs> carriage um, doing that and and sort of I guess taking the power away from that man, mm. and he sort of talks about how how he admires her, and I guess has a sort of feel that they wish he he, he did that a bit.
0: Did Brandon find this? Yeah. Did, did someone at Open Door find it? No, he found it for
1: himself and did it for his auditions, and wanted to do it in the show in. Yeah. We just did it really well, I think. But when you said, you know, I need a speech, I had limited time. I just thought, oh, maybe maybe that one, because I always think of that one.
0: That was another thing I just wanted to talk about briefly, because I know this was the first one that sprung to mind for you. And you were then trying to think of other things, and you were like, there just isn't really anything. And I think that's interesting in itself, because, for instance, at that drama school level, we think about speeches all the time at the beginning of your career. Mm. All you're thinking about is monologues and speeches. Mm -hmm. And it's another thing, I guess, that's slightly outdated in terms of of course there's got to be a way of assessing people of of picking who you know gets into a drama school but speeches often become so little a part of our lives and careers yeah later on have you ever had to do a monologue for one of your jobs I
1: think I think we had to do a I did a play with Cheap by Jow and I had to do a, a classic monologue and I just I just I just did the one I got in for drama school it was um, oh it's called Cymbeline it's from Cymbeline that's it mm. There was this play at the National that I wanted to go up for, I thought it was going to be, it had like a massive director, great, amazing, like very well-known writer. It was going to be mm. on the, I think it was on the Olivier. And you know, it, it had a Rihanna tune in it. It was about protest. And there was this character of Iranian <laughs> heritage. I was like, God, this is, this is, this is going to be amazing.
0: This is my dream job. I'm going to get it.
1: Did a recall and then didn't get it. And I was really like disappointed. because you, know, you haven't done a play before. And then literally a week later, then I had an audition for Cheat by Jowl. And I had to just go in and do a monologue. And then I met my mate, literally like, it was near Holloway Road. Met my mate on Holloway Road. And then got a call that I had the job then. and knew That's I was going so on this cool. like amazing tour. Like I'd never had a, a, a yes so quickly. I mean literally it was uh, 45 minutes later. And then I went to like New York and Sydney and we're in Paris ah. and the Barbican and Madrid. And it was, I met one of my best mates and who's now my best mate and um so yeah, that time it did I did do it and did work out. But apart from that, you're right, you never you never do it. But again,
0: isn't that it's like my comment right at the start about drama school auditions and I got rejected with no recall and then I got accepted not on waiting list or anything within the same year because of a difference in speech because of probably a difference of person in the room and you have that experience where you get rejected from a job because apparently you've just not done a play before and then within two weeks you're accepted within two minutes it's like it sort of sums up the mania of this industry yeah
1: and it was like I thought that was going to be the biggest play and that ended up being like a one star reviewed play like <laughs> like which you don't even get anymore I feel like you just don't get one star reviewed plays anymore like yeah, that and then with the one with Joe it was like the best play they'd done in ages and I got to go around the world and. You know, so it was like, it was a nice sort of like, it always reminds you like, if you get if you get a no or, or it doesn't work out, like, oh, something probably is coming. Yeah,
0: and it is rare that the things you think are going to be huge are the things that are huge.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. 100%. I missed BBC job that I was like, final, you know, whoever yeah. rounds or whatever. It was like, you know, detective, and it was like modern and it's like this guy from Iranian heritage, this guy from... Anyway, and I thought, God, whoever gets that, their career's going to go... And and it just it just doesn't work out like that. And whereas like I was in the second series of Staff. Oh yeah. Let's Let's flats, and that's done more for me than pretty much I think anything I've ever been in. And I just felt sort of lucky that I was a a, a part of that. Yeah. It it has probably done more for me than something I've been a regular in. You know, like you just don't know what it is. There's no formula. You. Because you
0: don't know what's going to be a hit, basically. Yeah,
1: and you get a lot of young actors, like in terms of like you know through Open Door, right, I meet more and more and. It was like, oh, it's a Netflix show. And you're like, there's so many Netflix shows now. Like, You know what's going to be a hit, what's not. There's no formula to it. And she um, just got, I guess, just keep doing a good job. and
0: Take the work you're given to a certain extent, as long as you yeah, believe one in of it.
1: Yeah, one of them might do well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned a couple of times in our chat that you were going for a job and you were excited to get it because it was someone of Iranian heritage. Mm. To what extent do you find a lot of the stuff you go up for that is marked in the character description? You That's a character trait they want him to be from the Middle East. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's changed. It, I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting and a, and a lot of people from, you know, my heritage or mixed heritage of mine sort of feel this sometimes that sort of overlooked sometimes in terms of the talk about diversity and representation. And, and, and I'd say for people from Middle Eastern and North African heritage, not, not that much has changed, really.
0: Mm.
1: The, the only time generally you'll see people is when they're refugee or victims or perpetrators of sort of stuff. And so there hasn't really been a shift um, as much as I think there has been, but not as much as we I think everyone would like. Um, well, early on, it was very clear that, like, when the industry was a sort of different way, you were sort of pigeonholed like that. And so you'd only go up for certain parts. And they tend to be, like, you know, victims or perpetrators or stuff or the yeah. funny decent guy. And then when the shift happened, which is about sort of... Fun, five six years ago and, and and a bit before then it started to change then it would be sort of nondescript. but um for me i, I guess i'm quite fortunate that i sort of have a career that's such a range of stuff that it isn't it isn't so i'll i will get a mix i, I wouldn't say it's a majority that i think i get excited when it is sometimes because i don't often get to play it
0: yeah so when the character does reflect
1: yourself you it's sort of gone back you know back in the day you might be like oh all i'm doing is playing these kind of parts and um although i never did i, I just just did work out that way and i can talk in a second why i think that might be but i think as you get older you're like no i do want to represent. I'd quite like I like to embody to. that and yeah, yeah, present that. I know it and and I think it's important in these times where we're like, you know, invading countries and uh, I say, m- you know, Muslims around the world are being persecuted all the time and countries are being invaded and the more we can sort of humanise people from that region. I mean, that's what was amazing about the... Because of controversies, I didn't really watch the World Cup. I just it sort of put a bit of a... T- tainted yeah, it a bit taste. for me yeah and, and yeah. I sort of was a bit really conflicted but the, you know the story of the Moroccan team is was really amazing
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it, and I think it meant so so much to that part of the world uh, been an African country and Arabs and, and Muslims it, it, it gave hope mm. all we know of the Middle East is we don't see a lot of positive things so something no. that's positive and human and as, as simple as football and people just celebrating is pretty amazing so yeah I I mean I don't know how interesting this is, but I was going to say that, like, m- being mixed-raced, my mum's from the Isle of Wight, my dad's Iranian, like, and I, I think a lot of mixed people can relate to this. You, you sort of feel like you don't belong to any one, or you feel embarrassed to claim one because you're not full it, or, yes. you know, that that's your heritage. And I went on a right full journey with it, and now I sort of really sort of own it. And As in you
0: own the mixed the mixed race part, well, of your and just to
1: sort of take on the Middle Eastern part of me. Right, that, oh, really okay. That part, okay, You know, English stuff came for free, really, and and I was born here, raised here. My mum's English, my dad's was always at work. I don't speak Farsi, like. But I was, I guess, I was always felt a bit like I couldn't sort of imposter syndrome taking on the Middle Eastern side of me. When actually, hang on, I'm just as Middle Eastern as I am English. So why would I mm-hmm. feel that? And so. All the stuff that I guess I've just been talking about is, is is really important to me now.
0: And is that why you said a second ago when you first came out of drama school, you think you didn't go up for many sort of Iranian Middle Eastern role or you didn't get that wasn't the, the path your career took. Is that connected to this? Well,
1: it's connected in some ways, actually, in terms of imposter syndrome or mixed raceness. And what we I think what the industry understands as representation of sort of the MENA, which is Middle Eastern, North African region, is that people have an idea of what someone should look like. So has dark skin or mm. Um, mm. so often you'd get lots lot of South Asian people playing Middle Eastern people because of the West's idea of what someone from <laughs> that it, it looks like when actually yeah. an Iranian north from the north of Iran or Syria could have your complexion or mine. Yes. And so it's it's so for me, I mean, I literally someone said, you're too smiley to play a terrorist. That actually, someone said, <gasps> But, but, but it, I mean, to be fair, that's not that bad, but I will tell You're you. You're like, a bad I'll
0: one. take it. I'm smiley. <laughs> I'm a happy yeah. guy. <laughs>
1: there you go, exactly. But yeah, but, but I think people's like, like Iranian, to Iranians, I look very Iranian. Right. Another Middle East will tell me I'm Iranian. But I think the English industry wouldn't necessarily say I, I look Iranian. Does that make sense?
0: That's, oh, and how absurd.
1: It was wild. Like, like, that's yeah, hilarious. It was really wild. But they would say a South Asian, someone from South Asia might, uh, you know, Pakistani, Bengali, India, Sri Lankan, or, and it still happens. But the worst one was I went up for a part in a, a pilot for a sitcom that then got made, and I was playing the husband of, of one of the, the, the leads who was going to be a regular. Went in, did the audition, went well, they said, I think it's going to go your way, waiting for the offer. Then a couple of days later, it was like, I think they want to bring you in again. Okay, cool. And they're now still looking for other people. It oh, got worse and worse, I worse. and I, I think I was going on holiday or had another job, and I said, look, is this it's happening. And the cast director just copy and pasted what had come from the commissioners, saying... We want Carson to look for someone who's more obviously, Bane is the term they use. Yeah, who's more obviously Bane. So, so do I bring a shisha pipe in and a magic carpet and a and a like? What do you come in a genie outfit like? Because of our ideas of what what uh, someone from a, a non-white background looks like. So yeah. that, that becomes quite frustrating because... And
0: so, I'm so sorry to to interrupt your flow because this is so interesting. But again, I'm just aware always of, in case we're using terms that any of my listeners don't understand, mm-hmm. BAME was a term that we're sort of trying to get out China's, now. It's kind of dead, yeah,
1: doesn't exist now, but black, Asian, minority ethnic.
0: It used to be the way to basically say anyone who isn't white. Yeah. But it was, it's generally considered a, a pretty offensive way of doing that just because it groups. It makes everything white or other.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: How long ago was this?
1: Four years ago, three years ago, like, not not long. Mm.
0: Like, just before COVID, basically. Before COVID. No, it was, it was yeah. a bit
1: longer, actually, then. Yeah, it's probably about That's four.
0: That's it, the COVID years, we forget about that. Yeah, maybe it was about four years When ago. we say four years, we mean six years, because
1: COVID <laughs> <Yeah>. doesn't count. <laughs> no, I think it was about four years, but before, just before, yeah, a year before COVID or something. But but with that one, I guess it also just made me realise, like, oh, that is, what I thought was a problem, actually, is literally on paper, uh, you know, I literally have yes. it in an email, and, and I guess... Why the cast director sent it on? I may maybe my agents could have shielded me from it, maybe. But actually, I think they both felt the agent and the casting probably felt this is this is nothing to do with acting. This is a stupid idea from people who literally don't understand it. Mm. You need to be more ethnic. I, you need to be darker skinned or have a stronger brow or or have an act, like wh- whatever it is because it's not about someone is or they're not. If
0: if there's a an incorrect. In commas, Western viewpoint for Middle Eastern and North African yeah. people, then someone's got to break that at some point yeah. and cast people who actually are from that region.
1: Yeah. It honestly <laughs> happened to me recently, and um, it's re- it's it's something I wouldn't even say if it was a TV show or a play or whatever. Fine. Just because it's literally now, but the part is set in a very it's set in a Western place, but the, the people are heritage from Middle Eastern, and it's a South Asian person playing it. And I'm not saying in the past, like, that's what happened. I played, they played, we we can swap about. And it still can happen if people look like it. But are you telling mm. me now there's no one that could have played that part? Even if I was rubbish, which I don't think I was, but, but even if I was rubbish. So there's enough now. Mm. You know, as you get a bit older, you gonna get, maybe you can get more angry about stuff, but I'm probably less passionate about stuff. But this one, I don't know, it really annoys me because it's earth. so linked to the politics of our world and how we view and, and anti, you know, Islamophobia and... Palestine and um, Yemen and Syria and Iran and all of it. Mm, mm, mm. We talk about representation, but in terms of this subject and I, I'm sure lots of regions would would argue the same. But it it just feels so important because people are literally dying. Like it's it's wild. And um, mm. so as you can tell, I get quite passionate about it. It's good. We must. But so I do think it can be a casting of a play or a TV show. Like like Dead Pixels. I was in this comedy which was I mean, a channel for e4, e4 yeah it was a show where there was two people from middle eastern heritage in it myself and sargon where it wasn't about that like and, and it can be but it wasn't and that's why like, it's massive that's probably probably the only time it's ever been done i don't think it was celebrated i, I don't think it was actually probably celebrated in the same way that it would be others because i think people don't feel like it counts which is wild
0: yeah well look dave This is so interesting and I feel like I knew all about Open Door anyway, but I feel like I've learned more and now um, I would like you to read the speech. I feel a little bit naughty, like we haven't really discussed the speech very much, but that's because there's been so much else to chat about.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, I can't think of anything, I'm, I'm sorry, I'd like to be able to, but I loved her, I do love her actually can't right now deal with the idea that she's gone that I might not ever wake up with her again or go on holiday because I think and sorry, this is a bit but I think she might be my soulmate stupid things like uh, I love watching her eat the way she eats is so and she's funny and beautiful and brave and like we're on the tube once it was really crushed and there was this man and he was he wasn't like a tramp. He, he was in a suit. He had um, a briefcase and and she realised this man had taken his, uh, you know, his uh penis out for his f- flies and, and he was sort of rubbing it on her. But the tube was so packed, you know, so people didn't notice. But when she saw it, she started shouting really loud, look at his chipolata, till everyone was looking at them and you'd think that that would be really embarrassing, wouldn't you? But I just I just love that. She's just fearless. And what happened is the whole tube together started chanting at him. We're all chanting at this man, Chipolata, Chipolata. And I thought, I actually feel part of something, you know? For the first time in my life, I feel like I'm part of something, like we, People together can change things. People can stand up and stop shit things because that's what it was like when I was with her. I felt connected to the world and all the things the world could be if we were just better versions of ourselves. So it's like the better world was sort of a shared space that existed in both our heads. So there was like a world that we lived in together and that we'd helped to make and it was just for us. It was our secret. We had a secret and we lived together. And and that's it really. I just really love her.
0: It's so cool. And I yeah. love in contemporary writing when people write very realistically.
1: It's nice as an actor, isn't it? To sort of do those bits because you feel like you're doing proper truthful acting. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, na- exactly. it's just naturalism, but but you feel like you're doing it. And I think I forgot the bit about what he talks about in, and, and because of that, he f- you know, he feels connected to everything and that we as people can sort of stop doing stuff, which I guess in terms of what we've been talking about in the podcast is even more, you know, open door yeah. or the, the thing, other things I was passionate about that, you know, in these times we can sort of, I sound, I sound a bit wordy, don't I, but we can sort of come together and, <laughs> and can can do stuff when it feels like we can. But we
0: can, It's it's got to be said, we can. What a lovely message to end a Christmas episode on. Merry
1: Christmas.
0: And a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.
1: Hear Me Out is a Lucy Eaton Productions podcast. Music composed by Tristan Kaye and artwork by Rebecca Bright. Our heartfelt thanks to the estates and license holders that allow us to read our guests' speech choices. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please, please subscribe, rate and review. You can follow us on social media at Pod Hear Me Out and enjoy visual clips of the interviews on our YouTube channel. Finally, if you would like to support Hear Me Out, go ahead and click the Patreon link at the bottom of the episode bios.